You're listening to In Focus by MarketScale, a podcast by video professionals for video professionals, putting in focus the topics, teachers, and tips guiding today's video industry. With your host, MarketScale's Senior Director of Video Production, Josh Brummett. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the In Focus podcast. I'm uh, really excited you guys are here today. I have a very special guest with me. This is one of our uh, our European shooters that we work with quite often. He is a freelancer based out of out of Denmark, and he's also halfway based out of Spain. So I have with us Jesper Sohoff. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing very very well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So uh, what time is it over there? It's 3.30 in the afternoon, so it must be morning uh, where you are. Right, right. So it's always interesting working with the, uh, it's always interesting working with the uh, time zone difference because, you know, whenever we're, we're over here starting the day and we're communicating with you, you're starting to wrap up your day. So oftentimes we have to communicate early, early in the after the morning. So that way we can get our projects worked out and everything. It For me, it's an advantage with deadlines if I'm ed- editing because I have all night to finish up. Yeah, there you go. That's always it's always nice from an editing perspective. And I know you've done a couple of our <laughs> projects. We wake up the next morning, our video is done. It's like, oh my gosh, there we go. We sent it one day, and it's done the next. So it's always always fun to work with that. So uh, tell me about your your background. How did you get into the video production industry? When I was very young, I, I always loved to run around with a camera, and I, I was the guy who filmed in in school and in high school and that kind of things. And then I started studying uh, economics at the university. So I actually have a degree in business administration. Um, and later on, I became a, a reserve officer in the Danish army. And I started working um, as a sales manager in a, in a private company after a few years. Um, and I ended up in an advertisement agency, being the manager of the agency, and kind of found out that it wasn't really me to be in management. Uh, I would prefer to be on the creative side. So I formed my own production company together with a journalist from Spanish television. And we started out uh, filming and he taught me how to, to tell a story basically with a camera. And uh, yeah, I read up and learned everything you need to know on, on the technical side, also working with Spanish colleagues. And that way I, l- I learned to trade. And I've been doing that for 15 years now. Now, that's awesome. So, why make the transition to freelance? I don't know. It, it was kind of always in me that I wanted to work for myself. Mainly because when I worked in in private companies as a manager, you work maybe ten, sometimes fifteen hours a day. And and after a couple of years, I said, if I'm gonna work this this many hours a day, I would prefer to do it for myself actually, and to do it for somebody else. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think having the flexibility as a freelancer is very special. And that also kind of leads me into my next question is, is, you know, you have a home in Denmark, but you also go to Spain and you have a boat in Spain, correct? I do. I, and I live on it on ex- in extended periods of, of the year, actually. Yeah. So you go to, so you have to, probably not, maybe not half, but a close to the time you actually go to live out on your boat in Spain. How cool is that? That is, that is very cool. That's something I love. So <laughs> was that like a dream of yours to always have a boat and, and go to Spain? Or how did that kind of pop up? I've been living in Spain for many years. Uh, and due to the financial crisis there in around 2011, I moved back to Denmark because uh, the work perspective were better. It was simply easier to get freelance jobs uh, and, a, and at a better rate. Uh, so 
since a few years, I, I went back to Spain. I bought a sailboat in France and sailed it down to Spain. And I really just enjoy staying there and with the ability to move very quickly. If you live on a boat, you can move from one day to another. Uh, not very far, though, because it's slow. But yeah, but that's how it works. And then I just travel back and forth. When I have work in Northern Europe, I'm in Denmark or Germany or Sweden or, or whatever. And uh, when I have work in Spain, I'm staying on my boat there. So, what makes Spain so enticing? Like, why why do you like to go back so often? Oh, I like the country uh, and the people there. Uh, the food is excellent, and then there is all, there's also a climate thing to it. Uh, Denmark is in the northern Europe, and it's uh, cold and dark for a long, a very extended period of the year. And uh, and Spain, I mean, uh, where I am based in Alicante is uh, southern Europe. You can probably compare it to northern Florida or, or Dallas, where you're from, or in, in weather-wise. I mean, it's it's a really nice climate. Awesome. So uh, tell me how, uh, you know, being able to travel to all these different countries in, in Europe is, is very is very interesting because you don't only deal with different regulations, especially in how you shoot and do business, but you also have, you know, the language barrier to deal with. So tell me about your experience going to these different countries and, and doing videography like all over all over Europe. For me, it is really great. It's a nice experience because I get to work with a lot of different people from a lot of different cultures. And I also get to to travel around Europe. Uh, with regard, regard to the language barrier, I'm lucky because I'm from a small country where we need to learn other languages to, to be able to, to get around. So I can get, yeah, I can manage myself in German, in French, in Spanish, uh, in Danish, and, and then basically in the other Scandinavian countries as well, because our languages uh, are so similar. So that's an advantage for me and probably why I, I do a lot of jobs uh, outside outside my own country as well right i think it'd be a big value i think it's something people in the u.s don't normally do is learn other languages and i think it would add a lot of value and uh, something that i need to work on myself i think it's really impressive how many languages you can speak and we're and when we need to shoot somewhere we're like hey jesper knows all these languages he can he can make it happen so it's always a big value add from a business perspective what kind of projects do you usually do? So I know you kind of done everything from corporate to commercial to TV. What what are the projects that you mostly do in your business? I mainly work in in corporate videos, and I do a lot of interviews um, of CEOs and others, which are used for yeah, reference videos, uh, product videos, and I usually shoot an interview and do some B roll, but. I mean, sometimes I travel to another country just for a shot of one hour and I go home and I made the day. And that's, of course, very nice when that happens. Um, and then I also do um, maybe 30% of my work is uh, news stories for TV. Uh, not breaking news, but uh, more like reports and magazine stories. And that could be about culture or business or, or whatever is around. So it's a nice mix where I meet a lot of different people. I see a lot of different places, and, and that's part of what I really like about it, that it's so varied. So because you're traveling so much and you do more of this kind of run-and-gun style shooting, I bet being mobile is really important to you. It's crucial for me being mobile, um, and especially now it's a, it's, a, it's a big challenge with all the regulations. And in Europe, we have every country has its own regulations, and they change about every week. So I spent quite a substantial amount of time looking 
looking on where I can go and where I can look for jobs and where I can actually uh, support my clients. But yeah, that's that's just how it is. But it also affects the way I buy my gear and uh, yeah, uh, and how I pack my my gear and how I think in 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 running my business because it's it's from A to Z. I mean, it's uh, it's travel, it's uh, gear, it's uh, your clothing, it's everything you have to think into to that way of running your business. Right. So what equipment or what other items have helped make mobile shooting easier for you in the past, you know, say five years? Is it okay if I take a little broader perspective on it? Because maybe 10 years ago, I was filming with a DigiBeta, which is a large shoulder-held camera that weighs about 12, 14 kilos and really fills fills up a, a large traveling bag. So now that we are shooting uh, in a better quality on small DSLR cameras uh, with interchangeable lenses, and I mean, that has been a breakthrough for me. And also the gear in general is getting smaller. It's uh, getting better. And that's just really good for traveling. Right. I agree. I, it's one of those things where sometimes, you know, we have some some nicer cameras and some high format cameras, but sometimes just pulling in the Sony's in a Belkin case, you can keep, keep, you can pack a couple of Sony's, your lenses and, um, and some audio gear. And you really got everything you need for an entire shoot in a Pelican case, besides maybe a tripod on your shoulder. But that has allowed me to travel so much easier than compared to having to bring a giant Pelican case, you know, having it's, it's, it's hard when you're on flight or you're trying to pack in a car and have all this gear with you. It is. And, and usually it translates into costs also because maybe you need to be more people on the crew because physically you just can't handle uh, lights and uh, sound gear and a huge camera, a huge tripod that goes with it. And if you want to shoot um, uh, stabilized shots on a, on a gimbal, it's also heavier gear for a larger camera. So it's, it's just definitely made life easier. And the, I think it has increased the quality of what we can shoot. I totally agree. I, I think it's been really, really phenomenal. And there's been shoots where I've, it was able to bring an entire load of gear and just be able to walk it myself. And, uh, I think it, it's been able to save, save money. It's also been able to give empowerment to shooters is now you can bring, you can feel like you can bring more. You can't, you don't just have to bring a a, a tripod and a camera you can fit a gimbal inside with there too so those are pretty small now the hand the, the like the ronin s and things like that so it's been a huge benefit um so so trying to other talking about other things you kind of mentioned covid and, and how that's been affecting some of the work and regulations how has covid affected the uh, the market in europe yes in in a very strange way from from my perspective um because when it all started out here, which was at the end of March, mid March, we, we were in lockdown and it was from one day to the other. Uh, and in the first one and a half month, I mean, business was zero or 5% of what it was before, but it started opening up and people started, um, started doing things. I started getting jobs that I normally would not get. Uh, where I acted as shooter and journalist because foreign journalists could not travel. Uh, so so I, I got some really uh, well-done scripts from TV stations and I, I went out and do did everything for them. And then, of course, uh, at least in the northern part of Europe, there is a huge booming what is uh, streaming and that and also in um, in online education, which fortunately I have a lot of experience in. So 
I can't really complain about business so far. I'm of course worried, but uh, but I just I can't say that that it's gone down since things have started opening up again. I think September might have been one of the best months I've had for years. So. So for a while there, it was a little bit scary, but then things started getting pretty, pretty close to normal. I mean, I'm sure the, I've seen a lot of live streaming and education courses. That's something that we've been focusing on at market scale. And so tell me, tell me about that. What's your, been your take on how things have been shifting in the market? Since COVID started, I think, of course, there's a lot of uh, business as usual stuff where we do um, corporate video for mainly for online use. Um, but uh, th since people can go to seminars, especially in my case, it's been medical seminars, um, they kind of find the experts there or they interview them or they live stream them um, to be able to make online seminars and, you know, uh, do the same things that we did that, as we did before, but online. And then, of course, there's uh, a lot of production companies that just, they just can't travel. So, so they, they ask local guys or semi-local guys like me to, to, to go out and do the shot for them. So that's how it's been affecting me. But I know a lot of colleagues that is working a lot in live stream now, uh, both on educational and, and on meetings and yeah, for the things I just told about. Yeah. So do you think that this will be a trend that keeps, that keeps moving forward? Or do you think that people will start falling back to doing more of these productions again? I think this trend will keep moving forward. I think education online makes sense. Um, I've been working with it at the, the university in Aarhus in Denmark for, I don't know, five years, uh, developing courses online. And this was way before COVID started. I mean, we're talking about from 2012 to 2017. And that's just because it's there's so many things you can do online. Of course, you don't just slap a few videos up on on a site and that's that's a, an education you need to have more things but the possibilities to today they're re they're really out there and it's and it's really nice for for students to to follow and also for companies um, it's just so much more cost effective also for not having to gather people and now with covid it, it makes even more sense but i think things like trade fairs they're coming back maybe not in the extent they were before but we human beings, we have a need to meet and uh, and to say hello to other people also. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think it, it's interesting because while I do think there will be some production coming back, I mean, so much has moved to collecting these libraries of content and whether it's shooting there on, a, on location or doing these kind of more broadcast or remote type recordings, it's been really interesting to be a professional and learn how to have a good quality remote recording set up. And uh, be able to kind of do some of this stuff that you can even do from home. And I, I think it's been a big value add even for, for ourselves, And I think for freelancers too, I really highly recommend have a remote setup and start trying to market yourself to have a, a remote recording setup and edit it that way because a lot of people are starting to move towards it. You could also see it in, in up until now, but the, the gear is really hard to get because it's just so loud, the remote, the remote production gear. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. I think it's it's interesting. Is we're you know we do a mix of sometimes we use like a uh, like a desktop with like you know Wirecast where you're, you're able to switch and you're able to uh, pull in feeds in directly. But other times, yeah. if you need even more setup and you need a sometimes you know a desktop switcher is not the most reliable thing. So then you're looking at a huge investment of equipment, and it's one of those things where you have to kind of keep say is is this something that I want to do long term 
or just something that's just going to be temporary. And it's been kind of a hard, hard mix to see what, what do you invest in? How much do you want to invest in risk remote recording and things like that? But again, that's also equipment that has become a lot more accessible. Uh, I was a live stream producer um, some years back and there was a huge investment in both cameras and I mean, the, the, the mixers that we used were quite expensive. Well, now you can get a, for a thousand bucks, you're up running with a mixer uh, and even, even less. And you can use the cameras you're using. You, you can even color. Uh, yeah, you can even set them up in color, which before would have taken <laughs> a lot of, a lot of gear to do. So, so in that, I mean, it, it's getting more mobile. I mean, you can chunk a small, live stream set in your in your backpack basically so it's it's also a lot easier than it was just a few years ago right i i I think it's really i think it's really interesting that you used to spend a hundred thousand dollars for a broadcast studio now you can get something for you know under ten thousand dollars like it is crazy how much is reduced and even like i mentioned we do everything a lot of stuff in wirecast and that's just a desktop computer and a wirecast program and we can pretty much do anything from graphics to remote guest, uh, the whole nine yards. So that's been a huge difference. And I think that this COVID stuff, if it happened, you know, maybe say 10, 15 years ago, I think doing remote recording would be, would be a lot different. I think the video industry would be very dead in a lot of cases because it was only a select few people could even do anything like that, mostly news stations. So it's been huge difference. So uh, tell me, uh, you're you're all over Europe. You've been to all these different different cities. Tell me about maybe your favorite project, maybe your first one or two favorite projects you've ever done. Um, I, it's hard to it's hard to say that I have a favorite project because I really like mostly all of them, but some really different stuff I've done. Uh, filmed uh, America's Cup in two thousand and six and two thousand and seven in Valencia, where we were on board the Chinese team's boat for and following them for 24 hours. That, that was really a, a different kind of shot and, and very interesting to see how how a team like that works. And, and I would actually say one, one of the shots I really liked also uh, lately was uh, with you guys uh, up in northern Sweden uh, at the Fallon Mine, um, shooting a different style of corporate video that was both challenging and very very interesting i really like that and the area itself is uh is amazing so yeah so speaking on that that shoot in sweden you know it's for our clients we've been really trying to push that they should you know b2b videos of our and corporate videos are often just boring they're usually ads they're usually there trying to sell something and something we've been really trying to push for is how do you merge entertainment and education together so people can actually enjoy what they're watching, but still learn something or, or learn more about your brand or your product. So with with uh, micro drones, they're, they're a, they make a drone that's there for surveying and uh, doing LIDAR data. So we created a series with them called Down to Earth, where uh, they're able to actually, we go down in the field with these surveyors that use the drones, and they're often in these crazy environments. I mean, these guys are flying over this abandoned mine shaft. Was it from the 1800s or something like that? I think it's actually the mine shaft is, itself is from 1600. 1600s. Okay, wow. And the mine is like it's been exploited for a thousand years. They've been digging out copper up there. So yeah, wow, so much history. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. And, and being able to 
connect with these surveyors that are out in the field doing this extreme work, flying these drones and getting the data, it, we, we not only show the kind of challenges that they, they interact with when they're trying to do their, their job out in these locations, but we also show how they're using the data, how they're collecting the data, and how this data is, is easier than doing it by, by foot, which they used to do. And um, I think it's a really cool way of doing video, and I think that's kind of the future, is how do we make these kind of more seri episodic series that are, that are fun to watch that also help people learn and digest the product. And I think that's where the future of video, and especially corporate video, needs to go. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's, it's, an, it's a very different way of, of storytelling, but it's also a way of, uh, of, of seeing a story that we are used to from other formats on TV. And so, so we kind of buy it a little bit easier. Uh, I, I was very excited to film and, and to, to do this project because it was so different and so nice. I, I really like that way of telling a corporate story. I think that this, there must be a future in it. Right. I, I, I do agree with that. And I think that uh, whenever people can try something new, especially as a creative, and you can get into these more more story-driven, you know, sometimes it gets it gets boring to keep doing the same ad-driven videos for these companies over and over. And when you find a really creative way to tell their story and you have a client that understands the vision, and that's also the, the second half of the battle is sometimes these clients don't can't think outside the box of a normal video. But once everything's bought in, it's so much more fun to produce and create those those items, even if they are harder to do. But getting it out of it, and as an artist, it's so much more rewarding. It's fun to see what you've created, and you've almost created your own little little TV show out of it too, which is much more fun. Yeah, and it, I think from the client's client's perspective, which is the 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 viewer that should see these videos. It must also be more entertaining to see new formats. I mean, often you probably see a corporate video when you're looking for information about the company or their products. And if you see a little series with, that's entertaining and you see two, three videos that really explains a part of being entertaining, also explains a, a real-life situation, and you can see how the product is used. I mean, that would be something I would see myself if I were a client of someone doing corporate videos. Yes, that's the future right there. Merge entertainment and education together. And I think that's where people are going to find value and people are going to actually care about the product and the service people provide. Um, so the, to wrap up, uh, one last question. So uh, once COVID's all over and uh, I can go back to Europe, <laughs> uh, what if you, if you could recommend one city that I could visit, which city would you recommend? Paris. Paris? Yeah, okay. For, yeah, probably. Why, 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 <laughs> why Paris? It has a special pulse. It's a very nice. Uh, it's a very nice city. London as well. Um, I think that's that's probably the two largest cities in in Europe. If if you are a young guy and you want to uh, go out and see a pulsing city, that's a nice place. Now, if you want to go out and see nature, the recommendation would be completely different. Okay. So, what about for nature then? Where would you go? I will probably go to uh, to Norway or Sweden up north. Okay. To see uh, in the summertime to see yeah that's really nice all right well i'm gonna make it happen then well jesper thank you so much for hopping on it was really nice talking with you again and uh thank you for having me yeah well thank you everyone for joining this week's episode and we'll see you again next time <laughs>